Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by reporter Jacob Rudner. Jacob, how are you doing today? Ethan, I'm doing great, but I'm a little sad because we are without my boy Carson Breber on the pod, wishing him the best. He's not feeling too well, so not a whole squad effort today, though I am doing quite well. He definitely will be missed. I can speak on that as well. I'm also joined, though, by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing good. I've never actually been sick, so I don't know exactly oh, what that... Never, ever. No, I'm not really sure what that whole thing is like, but uh, we've been recording a lot of podcasts lately, it, it feels, um, with the basketball preview stuff. Hope everybody checked that out. And uh, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Basketball season is starting up tonight, so hopefully see a lot of people out there. Yeah, so you heard it here first. Chris Cartman, immune to... Literally everything. Never sick. But we'll move on to the and podcast. And you. I'm, I'm even immune to your sarcasm. Oh, you're immune to my sarcasm as well, even though you had to answer. It's okay. We'll move on. ASU won 31-16 to against USC. ASU is now 6-3 and on the season and 4-2 and in the Pac-12. Jacob, we'll go to you first. Initial takeaways from this one. Yeah, Ethan, I think that this was a good bounce-back effort. For ASU, it, you know, it goes without saying ASU lost back-to-back games to Utah, Washington State, and then comes out and has a, a fairly solid overall performance against USC. The running game was fantastic, 282 yards. Uh, defense did a really good job to limit USC to 16 points, and ASU really needed this performance, and its players said so much after the game. Uh, they really needed the, uh, the, the, the momentum that they gained from a win like this to go into the final third of their season. Now the three games left. Uh, a lot of the players on this team really wanted to beat USC specifically just, you know, with a lot of LA uh, backgrounds on this team. So I think that it had some extra meaning there for Chase Lucas, particularly, this was a meaningful win. Uh, just, he said that after last year's loss to USC in the final minutes of that game, ASU lost 28, 27, that this year meant a lot more to him and to get a win was extremely meaningful. He actually had to hold back tears in his post-game press conference so overall, I would say that this was a solid and needed win for ASU after a stretch of pretty poor games. Yeah, I think there, a lot of people wanted to see whether ASU would go the way of the 2011 team, which was Dennis Erickson's last year. They uh, started 6-2 and two and lost, I think, the last five games in a row, um, which then culminated with Erickson being fired. There's no doubt that ASU is better than USC overall from a uh, team standpoint, structurally, the coaching, the schemes. uh, And then you had Drake London being out for that game, which limited USC offensively quite a bit. And uh, Trojans have had a pretty bad defense this year. I just thought ASU played a pretty full complete game and actually was better in the second half than even the first half. The energy was very consistently demonstrated throughout and they finished. So at the same time, they did what they should have done. So it's not like we're going to be out here giving them a whole bunch of extra kudos um, because um, they were you know, a touchdown favorite or whatever it was, and um, they should beat a USC in its current state. 
Yeah, and when you look at this team, we'll go to the offense first. Rashad White, you can't really look past him. He had a monster day. He had carried the ball 28 times, which was the most carries for him in a game this season. It was more than the whole US, USC team combined in this game. He had 202 yards, most for a Sun Devil rusher since 1998. Added on three touchdowns, added on a 7.2 average yards per rush. Jacob, Rashad White was a monster. What did you see from him that really allowed him to be so successful? This was this was the first Rashad White performance this year that really looked like he did a year ago when he averaged 10 yards per carry in ASU's four-game season. The spring was just back in his legs. He was he was kind of, you know, he, he had a vision of the defense that allowed him to evade defenders. His speed was back. Uh, he was extremely potent basically every single time he touched the ball, averaged 7.2 yards per carry. And I think a lot of that actually has to do with him taking the previous week off, like Herm Edwards said, out of precaution after he got hit pretty hard against Utah, didn't play against Washington State as a result, and just came back and gave ASU's offense the life that it really needed to beat the Trojans. And we knew coming into the year that Rashad White was capable of performances like this. And that's not to say that we expected him to rush for 202 yards, the sixth ASU player to ever do that in a Pac-10-12 game and three touchdowns. But we certainly knew that he had the potential to impact the team the way he did. Uh, and I don't know that we had seen it prior to this game. So I think ASU really needed this kind of performance out of him, especially going into a part of the schedule, just given the standings in the Pac-12 South, that every single game is a must-win now for ASU. And Rashad White is a key to being able to do that. So, you know, at, at, at this point, that was such a huge game for him. And he really looked fantastic. And, you know, that's a credit to him, but it's also a credit to ASU's offensive line, which looked really good and paved the way for him to have that kind of success. So a huge game for him overall and also for the blocking guys in front of him. Oh, you're going to throw that in there at the end, that the blocking guys had a little something to do with it there, huh, Jacob? Hell yeah. Uh, oh, okay. It was like uh, Rashad White is great, X7. And, oh, yeah, the blocking guys. Um, look, I – Three weeks, basically, of not playing enabled Rashad White to have clearly a better pop in his legs. Uh, I tweeted that during the game. Jacob talked about that. Um, it was obvious. You know, he did have a bone bruise, a contusion that, that kept him out against Washington State a week earlier. But just that rest, I'm sure, um, gave him a lot. Now... I do want to say that USC's defense was an atrocity. It was the number seven for the Trojans, the safety who looked really bad um, when coming up to make a tackle on Rashad White on both of his long touchdowns. So he had a 50 yarder and a 47 yarder. That's a hundred yards right there, basically out of his just over 200 yards on two plays. Both of those really probably, if you have good defense, uh, shouldn't have been more than you know, ten yard gain or something like that. But uh, I do want to highlight the 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 offensive lines play in particular, and especially without Case Hatch in this game. But they they uh, Donovan West, I think, probably had his best game. He had he knocked down guys, he sealed blocks. There were. A gap and B gap holes very consistently that were open both in their zone scheme and in their counter stuff they were pulling. Um, I thought the uh, Ben Scott as a puller 
had a very good game. Ladarius Henderson did quite well. Um, there was not no sort of um, backside edge uh, 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 chase downs of Rashad White, and um, that's that's the way it's supposed to look. And I, I don't think that one of the things I really criticized Stanford for and wrote about after ASU beat that team. And now you can say again after USC is when you go away from being a hard-nosed football team offensively, your defense no longer develops those characteristics on a daily basis in practice. And so USC, I don't think really wanted to play and is not really built to play that physical hard-nosed style in the trenches. And even, even though it has been running the ball better in the last couple of weeks, it's just not culturally that embedded into who that they are. And this was very clear um, in Rashad White's performance. Um, and uh, again, we're probably also not all that surprised that he's capable of that because we have seen that um, against better opponents like USC last year, uh, he has the ability to put together some of the best rushing performances that we've seen from an ASU back in recent history. Yeah, and the thing that really makes this even more interesting is just how limited the personnel was. You've talked about it a little bit there, Chris, with Case Hatch being out. There was a limited Curtis Hodges, limited Johnny Wilson, who's been very good at blocking so far this year for ASU. Coaches have even said at times that the running backs just follow Case Hatch into the hole and without him makes it a little bit more difficult. And also, Diamante Trainum fumbling early on in the game, so they didn't have the two-back system that it seemed like they were going to play with throughout the beginning of the game. So Jacob, what really allowed them to do this? You guys talked about the offensive line, but how impressive is it that they still were able to have this big of a day from Rashad White? Yeah, I mean, ASU was missing. Wilson didn't play at all. Andre Johnson out, Jordan Porter out, and now in the transfer portal. So you're missing your your best three or among your best three blockers on the perimeter. Uh, It even came to a point, Ethan, where ASU was using an extra offensive lineman in that wingback alignment, sometimes lining up as an attached, like where a tight end would be, to provide some of that blocking that ASU would need. And then you mentioned the two back sets. They were successful out of those. Obviously, when you lose Diamante Trainum to the fumble problems, you don't play him again. It does limit your ability to run out of those two back sets and to operate out of them. But I thought ASU did a really good job, whether it was using that extra offensive lineman or whatever the case may have been, to be able to compensate for the lack of certain players that they would typically rely on to be able to run the ball successfully, particularly in my opinion, case hatch. It was the extra offensive lineman that I thought was a really smart play by Zach Hill. We actually had seen him do that quite a bit at Boise state and it wasn't necessarily due to personnel limitations, but it was just one of the things that he had built into his offense. They used it a lot on goal line plays. And this is really the first time that we've seen it at ASU. As a matter of fact, I would say, and Chris, you can potentially speak to this too. We had seen them practice some of that kind of stuff at practice. It had just never gone into a game and it took Case Hatch getting hurt for that to actually appear. But ASU looked good in that set. So I would say that it was a creative job by Zach Hill. It was well done in terms of his ability to adapt to losing some key players. And the result was exactly what we just discussed. Yeah, they had done it once or twice before on goal line situations earlier this season, but in a more limited way and they still didn't do it a ton against USC it was more of a smattering 
uh, here and there. The, one of the advantages, they didn't get into a lot of third and long situations against USC. They're, when they, sh they shut out the Trojans in the second half and they had two touchdown drives, they, they were both of those they didn't face longer than maybe a third and three, I believe. So that was, that was big. When you can run the ball successfully on first and second down, especially when the opponent knows you're going to run the ball the way ASU did in that five and a half minute drive when it was up eight points and still went all the way down and Rashad White scored his third touchdown. That's, that's getting it done at a high level because uh, the Trojans were loading the box in this game really from uh, this point in the, in the first half and then really aggressively with eight in the box, safety down uh, in the third quarter. That's when Zach Hill tried to open it up with some shot plays uh, because there was some clear one-on-one -on -one situations, but the personnel really was limited for him. Uh, when you take those three receivers off the off the the, the board and case hatch, that's really four out of ASU's top eleven to twelve skill players, excluding quarterback, right? So I'm counting tight ends, running backs, wide receivers. And um, they wanted to then go to a lot of the twenty personnel groupings or twenty one personnel with two running backs and zero or one tight ends. Uh, and they did so early. And that was a big part of their game plan to compensate for not having receivers and not having case hatch. And then Trey and them lost the fumble for the second game in a row, the third time this season. They had worked in practice. We saw them on ball security, uh, trying to punch out the, the, the ball in running back's hands with um, this like, you know, literally like a punching device or whatever. And um, it, once that happened, it was even further limiting in terms of what Zach Hill had at his disposal. And that really makes the performance of what they did in the run game all the more impressive, and especially when we were going to talk about next, which was the limitations that they had uh, with their passing game, especially their big play pass the game, missing on a bunch of opportunities. As you just touched on, the game is really not won without Rashad White because Jaden Daniels in the passing game really struggled throughout the game. Daniels 11 for 20, 145 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. And Rashad White kind of overshadowed what was a, a pretty poor day offensively in the air. Uh, with his game on the ground. But what did we see from Jaden Daniels and, and the receivers throughout this one, Jacob, that just really wasn't clicking? I, I would say that nothing was clicking. I, I mean, Jaden Daniels couldn't really link up with his receivers, and it was particularly surprising because USC has been quite porous this year in its past defense. It entered play giving up 8.7 yards per reception, and Jaden Daniels and company just could not seem to figure out that secondary and whether that's a technique issue or it's something in Jaden's head that he's in his own head that's preventing him from being successful as a passer. Uh, Herm Edwards said it could be a combination of both during his Monday press conference and it was really apparent that there are some problems in this game and I think that that is of concern for the Sun Devils as they get into this end of season stretch and we'll touch on that in our upcoming podcast but ASU plays a Washington team next that has been tremendous, the best in the country at limiting opposing teams' passing games. 
And now ASU clearly has a quarterback who is really struggling to navigate even defenses like USC that have not done well in their past defense. So I would say that this was actually a fairly alarming performance. And I know that, you know, we hesitate to use that word and have talked about it before in our podcasts, but through nine games, I feel like we're at a point in the season where it's probably safe to say this is a concern for a third-year quarterback. I don't know that Daniels has looked particularly great in any game so far this year. And this may have been among his worst performances this season. And if you just off the top of my head, thinking back over the course of his career, there aren't very many that come to mind that are dramatically worse than this. It was a really poor performance. The turnovers are a problem. Uh, this was his third multi-interception game of the season. If you think back to his freshman year, he only threw two interceptions the entire season. Now he has seven this year against seven touchdowns. So uh, I would say that we're entering the concern area for, for Jaden for sure. And this performance highlighted that. Yeah, I think the important sort of context, what you're talking about there is the measuring that against expectations, right? It's not like Jane Daniels going into this game was the top ranked quarterback in the Pac-12 by PFF. It's a very bad year for quarterbacks, but ASU would rather have Daniels than most of the other options, if not all the other options in the Pac-12. That is important to be said as a foundation for what also is true, which is that Daniels relative to what people and even we expected from him has been far below that, especially in this game. And um, Jacob, you used the word navigate USC's defense. I don't think that was the problem. Um, his, his, he had an interception on a bad overthrow. He had an interception that was just behind um, another receiver. Both of them were on second downs. He missed um, multiple big play opportunities. He threw, I'm not even exaggerating, about 10 yards behind Brian Thompson on the one long catch in the first half. Thompson was behind the defense, had to slow way up to catch the ball. Um, otherwise, it could have been a touchdown. Later on in the game, he, he overthrew Brian Thompson. Um, he missed on other uh, big play opportunities even missed on short throws and this is a guy who for more than half of the season was 70 ish percent from the the completion rate which was the best in the in the conference also and not not an easily done thing uh, and that was with missing some shot plays in some earlier games as well which has been a, a topic of conversation but um it was all there I, I think if, if, if he hit on three or four balls that he easily could have and perhaps should have, um, he would have thrown for over 200 yards, a touchdown or two touchdowns, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. I, I think what is causing it is, as you, you touched on there, in Herm Edwards, which I asked him about, uh, in Monday's press conference, it is uh, I think there's primarily some uh, mechanical things that are happening here. He is uh, dropping his arm and he's throwing it in a sort of a under his normal mechanic. And then he's also not pointing his foot to the target. 
in the way that you're supposed to. You need to get your foot to the target and you need to drive your, your arm over the top. And when he does that, his balls come out with better velocity and they come out with better trajectory and they're less apt to miss on a high, low access. And um, I know that they work on that in practice with him all the time. I know that they're talking about that with him regularly and yet it's not getting done because he's falling back to some habit that he wants to have, which really shouldn't be the case. I think part of it is he's feeling pressure that maybe is there sometimes, but often isn't. And he's trying to get the ball out quick and quick is not better than good. If you throw interceptions and you're and, and, and you take your team off the field, it doesn't matter. You have to actually step in and throw the ball. Maybe it's confidence thing. Maybe it's, it's a, it's an instinct thing. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's other elements of it, but mostly it's mechanics and he's doing a bad job. Yeah. And you speak about expectations. The expectations come just from how well he's performed in some games. I mean, you see him this year against UCLA, you think maybe he can do that more often. And then he has some games like the one against USC. We'll see how he ends up performing for the rest of the season, but we'll move on to the defense. It was a huge response from the defense in general, but also from the front seven. It was a big game. DJ Davidson was seemingly everywhere. All three of the linebackers put on a clinic. They both had to stop the run and went back into coverage. Kyle Soley got himself an interception. Jacob, the front seven really dominated for a lot of this game, only gave up 92 rushing yards. What did you see from that unit and just how successful they were? This was a really disciplined performance from ASU's front seven. You mentioned the rushing yards, just 92. And Keontae Ingram, USC's running back, was coming into this game with a head of steam. I mean, he had been phenomenal uh, the last several weeks. And then ASU completely shuts him down. And that was really important. So this was a performance that I think ASU's defensive line in particular also needed. Uh, You know, we had written a story going into the game that uh, Robert Rodriguez, ASU's defensive line coach, felt as though his group was performing well in recent weeks, but had some areas that they needed to improve. And in particular, actually, in their rushing defense. And they really were able to deliver against USC in a game, by the way, where the Trojans were without Drake London. So we even knew coming into that game, and we talked about it in our podcast previewing it, that USC might lean on its run more than it has in previous games. And it somewhat did. And ASU came, you know, it, it, it lived up to it and it, it responded well. Uh, you also mentioned the linebackers. Darian Butler was fantastic. Kyle Soley had what I would say is probably his best game of the season. And Merlin Robertson, who has been inconsistent at best throughout the season, was solid. I think that he played a good game. It wasn't that anything like mind-blowing, but it was good. Uh, and ASU needed that from him. So, you know, you talk about momentum, and that's kind of been a theme with every single subject that we've brought up here so far. I think that this is a huge momentum game for that group. The defensive line, while it wasn't exactly, you know, breaking anybody's back or blowing minds in, the, in, the, in its pass rush, it was effective. Uh, it was able to stop the run. The linebackers looked good, including Merlin Robertson for the most part. So I think that this was a needed performance. Uh, it's a good way to get into the final three games of the season for them. And it kind of bounced back on some of the issues that its coaches had been talking about for the previous two weeks. There was high level energy really from the outset of the game um, by ASU's defense. And in particular, uh, DJ Davidson and Darian Butler were everywhere and they were emotionally present and accounted for. It's very obvious. Um, 
I, I thought B.J. Davidson's probably, for my money, been ASU's best defensive player this year, nudging out Butler. And I thought this was probably his best game. This, this was a game that you, uh, you want NFL scouts to take a look at and just watch. He absolutely dominated uh, the A-gap against the run, which is not uncommon, but then he made more flash plays than he typically would, which included the two bat downs where he had good penetration. Uh, he was in the backfield several times. He was uh, running to get to spots to where he was involved in, in TFLs. Uh, he had great lateral mobility on some of the, the outside run concepts that USC deployed. Just really outstanding stuff. And Darian Butler, he's one of the better linebackers probably in the country at this point when he's on his game due to the, the versatility that he has. And I just think that because, in part, ASU prepared a lot for USC last year, and it's the same scheme, they were super dialed in to what the Trojans were doing. We saw that with the Kyle Soli interception where he immediately like moved about three or four yards over before the route was even run in anticipation of where it was going to end up when he jumped in front of that ball and intercepted Slovis uh, early on. And uh, I even thought that DeAndre Pierce's interception had a similar characteristic to it. Uh, so they, their knowledge of USC, which also is a less refined and not particularly um, tricky offense, uh, was a big factor as well in ASU's ability to be really successful against the Trojans. And plus, we mentioned it previously that there's something missing with them from a cultural identity standpoint, even when they have run the ball successfully with Ingram. We wrote in the preview this week, you got to take away Ingram early on, limit the run game, make the Trojans throw the ball a lot to be successful. And that is exactly what ASU was able to do. And that's what led to it uh, having a a positive outcome and if i could just add real quick on the dj davidson front with this performance davidson now is tied for the lead in the pac-12 among interior defensive linemen in total tackles with 37 but i think what's even more impressive chris and you touched on this is the two pass breakups he had against usc give him four total on the year that is by far the lead among interior defensive linemen and pass breakups. And as a matter of fact, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, it actually ranks 16th in the conference overall. So among any position. So he's up there with linebackers and defensive backs at this point in total passes defended uh, with three games to play. Pretty absurd stuff. He's been doing very well as Chris talked about the front seven played really well. The defense in general played pretty well as well. They only allowed one touchdown, was which was that one rushing touchdown from Dart. They, as I said earlier, only allowed 92 rushing yards. They forced two interceptions, shut the USC team completely out in the fourth quarter. But also a big thing, Evan Fields came back. The safeties in particular played pretty well, and the secondary as well. Outside of the front seven, what did we see that was really successful from that defense, Jacob? Uh, again, I think this just comes down to discipline and being motivated and staying on your keys. And obviously, I think it's you know worth mentioning that USC is without its top pass catcher, Drake London. So it's down a massive weapon, which just makes the game a lot easier for ASU's defensive backs. 
but still they were able to deliver. And that came without Jack Jones, who didn't play for an unknown reason. Uh, Tamarcus Davis started in his place. I would say that the one area that ASU still struggled a little bit was when Jordan Clark was on the field in nickel down situations. Uh, they gave up a couple third down conversions, and there were also some penalties early on in the game on third downs that extended USC drives. And those types of things are still problematic. And we've discussed them pretty much week after week, that that's a thing ASU is going to have to clean up. And it remains something that it will have to clean up as it goes into its final three games. But just generally speaking, this was a good game. Uh, ASU was able to limit not one, but two quarterbacks. USC, you know, changing up and, you know, I don't know how effective that really is when you're going to have two quarterbacks and neither of them are going to be allowed to get into a rhythm. But ASU was able to limit both. Uh, its receivers, USC's receivers, didn't really have much opportunity. I thought Chase Lucas had a very good game. Uh, I would say that uh, Evan Fields played very well in his first time back in a long time. Uh, and it was just a generally overall solid performance with, though, some things that definitely need attention as ASU finishes out its season. Yeah, the key really uh, when you're playing against USC, once you have sort of limited that run game, is then to not give up plays over the top of your defense and they gave up precisely zero of those the longest completion in the game was 22 yards by the trojans that's excellent I, it, it, the opponent's going to beat usc vast majority of the times when that's the case uh when the run game also is not uh working at a very high level and so that that's where you have to give the most credit to asu now they did uh they're they're Chase Lucas got called for a holding. There also was a face mask call that went against Jordan Clark that I actually think was mislabeled uh, and that the refs should have given it to Chase Lucas, I believe. And um, so there, there were some penalties, but they were better than giving up big plays types of uh, penalties. And um, I, I totally agree that the, the, the safeties Evan Fields and DeAndre Pierce played exceptionally well in this game, especially after Fields had missed some games and several been out for several weeks. Um, I think he gave up maybe one pass, really, uh, in, in coverage. Uh, and um, Pierce as well only maybe gave up one or two passes underneath. Uh, there were a couple missed tackles, but not, not too much for the type of athleticism that a USC team has. Um, there were not blown assignments really in this game either. I do want to agree, and we have talked about it quite a lot, that nickel downs have been problematic. ASU played mostly base against USC, with three linebackers on the field due to the Trojans' potent run game in recent weeks with Ingram. Uh, I think that was a, a, an advantage that USC, um, that the way ASU played USC enabled that. But Jordan Clark gave up uh, completions in front of him and on a couple of occasions, third downs, of course, because that's when he's on the field. And he had a, a, another penalty. They even replaced him with Mason Williams at one point, And then Mason Williams gave up a completion in front of him. I think that if ASU can get back Jack Jones, which Herm Edwards said would happen this week, plus also have Lucas, Demarcus Davis, Fields, and Pierce, that's something we really haven't seen this season, and that could go a big way to helping them against a defense at Washington. I mean, an offense, pardon me, at Washington that really already 
struck, it struggles severely uh, to move the ball through the air. So it's, there's a trend line that seems pretty good for ASU in this last third of its season. Yeah, and I, I just want to touch on something really quickly. Chris, I can go back to you for this. I don't think we can talk about this game without at least mentioning the fact that USC are playing two quarterbacks in Keaton Slovis and Jackson Dart, and they both seemingly do very similar things, but they continue to play both of them, which we talked about a little bit on the postgame show, doesn't really seem to make that much sense. And maybe this was a little bit of help for ASU in terms of both of those quarterbacks never really seem to get any rhythm. Yeah, the problem that you have is you're not really doing different things with one versus the other. Normally, when you play two quarterbacks, it's because you have a certain package. One's at one, you you do a lot more movement stuff. He's a better athlete. You use him on third downs, short yardage, goal line situations. That's not the case with USC. Um, it, it's reasonably possible that um, Dart is not as good right now as Slovis. And so maybe that's why they're still going a lot with Slovis, but I think they clearly don't have enough confidence in Slovis to just roll with them the whole time. And I think partly they know in the back of their minds that Dart is a higher upside quarterback. He's got a bigger arm. He's a better athlete. He has a, an alpha male leadership characteristic, I think, a vocal dynamic energy that you don't really get as much from Slovis. They're both, they both are mistake prone. Like, it's not like uh, Dart doesn't go throw interceptions. He does. And he makes, he makes mistakes with his reads and other things. So, uh, you know, they had already lost four games going into that, that one. I think you got to start to think about what your future is going to be like. And also Dart is, has could play for two or three more years. Um, and Slovis won't. So to me, I think they should have been going with Dart, but I think the way they're handling it's poor and could lead to both players being uh, dissatisfied. Yeah, either way, ASU's defense had a strong showing against USC. A quickly touch on special teams, Eddie Chaplitsky averaged over 50 yards per punt on three punts, so it was a good day for him. There weren't really any big penalties that took back any anything on special teams either. There was one good return by DJ Taylor that was about 26 yards. It really got through a hole uh, before being tackled. No missed field goals, no uh, missed extra points either. So it was just a solid day all around for the special teams. But what I do want to ask you guys is this is a big response for the team is a, a big win for the team as well. Maybe as we talked about USC without Drake London, maybe not as big of a threat in that way, but what does this response and result do for ASU kind of at this point in the season and as well for head coach Herm Edwards? I think there are two key main points here. I think the first thing is this was a really important game for ASU's players from an emotional standpoint to be able to, you know, kind of face the music. They had, like Chase Lucas, you know, very explicitly said in his post-game press conference, uh, they were unhappy with how the media was portraying the team, that, you know, there was a sentiment that the players may have even given up on their coaches, and that this was an opportunity for them to prove that that wasn't true. And they were able to do that to a degree. I think that they played quite well, as we've discussed throughout this podcast, and that was really critical for this team moving forward for its emotional state 
for its ability to have a strong end to the season. So this was a pivotal game in that regard. That being said, I really don't think that this win does a whole lot for ASU in terms of its ability to win the Pac-12 South, for example. Utah looks fantastic right now. It just won 52-7 against a Stanford team that didn't have its quarterback. But still, that's, that's a huge win. And they remain two games up over Arizona State in the South. So to me, with three games left in the season, and by the way, of those three games, Utah's playing Arizona and Colorado, I don't really know that there's an opportunity for ASU to catch the Utes at this point. So in terms of standing, not a whole lot was done with a win over the Trojans. And lastly, as you ask about Herm Edwards, I think this actually was an important game to a degree because like we said before the season, anything below nine wins would be a severely disappointing year with this team. And I think that, you know, obviously now there's an opportunity to get to nine wins, you have to win out. Uh, And I think ASU is capable of doing that. It plays Washington. Washington is 0 for 5 against teams with a record better than 500. It plays Oregon State, which could be a really tough game, especially in Corvallis. And it finishes the season with Arizona. Arizona just got its first win after a 20-game losing streak and is 1-8 on the season. So is it possible that ASU reaches that 9-win, important 9-win mark? For sure. I really do think it is. And this was a key step towards getting there, obviously. But again, in the general scheme of things, I don't think that this changes a whole lot. Yeah, and just one clarification. I know Jacob was talking about the tiebreaker, but ASU is only one game behind Utah. It's just that uh, it would have to finish ahead of Utah in the standings uh, in order to win the South and represent the division in the, the conference championship game because UCLA is already at three and three and there's not going to be a multi-way tie at the top there. Uh, I, I do think that the, the win matters in the sense of Herm Edwards is, is, and his coaches, they're not trying to go away and just retire or quit or leave and don't want to go out the way that Dennis Erickson went out. That, that's, that would be a really bad outcome for them in, just in terms of how they are perceived in their careers and what happens at the end of this. And had ASU lost in that home game to USC for its third straight, um, when then it would be going up to Washington and Oregon State on the road in back-to-back weeks, it, it would have really elevated the potential for this season to go horribly off the rails in that kind of a way. Uh, and so it, it also affirms what players have said, which is that they haven't quit on the coaches and the coaches haven't quit on them. And they, it still matters to them at a really high level. Um, they showed that from an energy standpoint. Yes, they responded poorly against Washington State. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We've gotten into that in the past. And we will, we will again in a full season uh, breakdown once this year is over. But I, I, I think that they clearly responded in practice the way that they needed to, in the game the way they needed to, and they still believe that um, that the culturally that they have a lot of confidence in their coaches and that they want to put their best foot forward. And that, you know, yes, ASU fans are going to be very disappointed if they don't win the South, no matter what this year, but those other things, they still do significantly matter, particularly if there is a high possibility, as I believe that there is, that Herm Edwards remains as ASU's coach beyond the season. I think that's very likely still at this point. And so um, 
that game's outcome has a lot of significance still. Yeah, and either way, it's a win. Herm Edwards talked about in his press conference just about the feeling of getting a win and how, as Jacob pointed to, it's it's just a good morale boost for the rest of the season. And and while not likely, as you guys have said, still possible that they reach their goals of that Pac-12 South title, but at this point, they're going to have to continue to, to win. But if you want any more about this game against USC, the upon further review is up on the board by Chris, 10 takeaways will be coming soon as well. ASU has a game in Seattle against Washington coming up this Saturday, a big game on the road in the PAC 12 that they're going to need to win as we're talking about, if they want to be anywhere close to those goals, there's also basketball season coming around. So stay tuned for more content on that as well. Uh, as we look forward to that game, though, ASU's football game against Washington on Saturday, be on the lookout for the first look that will be written by Jacob and put up on the site soon. But for now, for Jacob Redner, Chris Cartman, I am Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.